from the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 20. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Uh, second, he's also given to me and to make me by true faith, sharing Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we deal with the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. As the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son, he accomplishes the tasks that he is sent to do. The Spirit's purpose is to accomplish the will of God, to bring to fulfillment the eternal counsel and the plan of the Lord. The Spirit's work is wide-ranging. We know that it is the Father who created the world by the word of his mouth, and that the world was made by the Son. Yet Psalm 104 verse 30 shows us that it was the Spirit who executed the word of God, so that this world came into being. It was the Father who loved the world so much that he sent his only Son to redeem us. And it was Jesus Christ who came in human flesh. Yet again, it was the Spirit who made this possible by causing Jesus to be, to be conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and by helping him to fulfill his public ministry. Not only has the Holy Spirit been active in our creation and redemption, it's also through his work that we have received the Scriptures as the infallible Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Peter 1 verse 21 says that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's through the Word of God that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to bring about our regeneration or rebirth. The focus of Lord's Day 20 is on his mighty work in our hearts and lives. This afternoon, we witnessed the baptisms of Lila Tote, of Jace Kuick, and of Kaysen Wilsey. When reading through the forum for the baptism of infants, we read of the wonderful promises that our covenant God makes to his children. God, the Holy Spirit, assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing of our sins and the daily renewal of our lives. In short, the Spirit promises to grant our children the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. This raises many questions. The Spirit promises to make us share in Christ's blessings. How come some covenant children stray and depart from the service of God? Were God's covenant promises not real or true? There are other things about the work of the Holy Spirit that are not always clear to us. 
What does the regenerating work of the Spirit involve? We know that we need to be renewed by the Spirit, but what does this renewing entail? And how does the Holy Spirit accomplish that? We have to deal with these matters this afternoon. I preach to you the Word of God under the following theme. Our exalted Lord Jesus Christ works change in his people through his Holy Spirit. We'll consider the manner in which the Spirit works in us and the extent to which the Spirit changes us. Genesis 1 tells us of how God created man in his image and likeness. In paradise, Adam and Eve reflected what God was like. When the angels in heaven saw man on the earth, they saw something of God's holiness, his righteousness, his goodness reflected in man. That was truly amazing. For man is but a creature made from the dust of the earth. Yet we reflected what God was like until the fall into sin. With the fall, man lost the ability to image God in what he was like. Man became wicked so much so that every thought of his heart was only evil continually. The result is that instead of reflecting God, sinners now reflect what Satan is like. To save us from our sins and misery, God sent his Son into this world. Jesus came to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In the previous Lord's Days, we've discussed how Jesus was born, suffered, died, arose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. All of this was necessary to reconcile sinners with their God. Yet these mighty deeds of Christ our Savior were not enough. Although Christ acquired salvation for us through his mighty acts, this salvation still needs to be applied to us. We need to be made alive, to be recreated, to be renewed, so we can again image God as we did at the beginning. Lord's Day 18 summarized the benefits of Christ's ascension into heaven. Part of that benefit is that he sends his spirit as a counter-pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above. Lord's Day 19 mentions something similar. It asks, how does the glory of Christ, our head, benefit us? The first part of the answer is that by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Brings us to Lord's Day 20, where the Catechism seeks to understand who this Spirit is, whom Christ has poured out. Is he able to change broken people, sinful people, so we can again mirror what God is like? We read together a portion of Ezekiel 36. In it, God extends a promise to his covenant people. Israel was in exile. Her sinfulness had led to much brokenness. The people's idolatry, their continued unfaithfulness, had led to captivity in a foreign land. Their physical captivity was a picture of how their hearts and minds had been enslaved, how they'd fallen under the dominion of sin and Satan. Yet God 
promises restoration. He says he will bring the exiles home again. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, the Lord says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. God himself would come to live in these Israelites. In the same way, Jesus made a promise to his disciples before he went the way of the cross. In John 14, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him to make our home with him. At Pentecost, with the outpouring of the Spirit of God, these promises were fulfilled. The Spirit of the Father and of the Son makes his home in the heart of God's people. That's why the Apostle Paul can say to the Corinthians, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The Corinthians knew what a temple was. It was the place where the gods were said to dwell. We know that when Solomon built the temple, God himself came into that temple. The glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Well, just like God made the temple into his home, so God now makes his home in the hearts of his children. That is what has been promised to us at our baptism. In Lord's Day 20, we confess that the Holy Spirit is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits. But is this true for everyone? Does this work of the Spirit apply to every covenant child of God? Can we take for granted that the Holy Spirit has also been given to me personally? What about when we face doubts about our faith? How can I know that the Spirit has come to work in my heart? What assurance do I have that this is true? To answer these questions, we need to consider who made the promises. Sometimes people make promises, but they don't live up to them. Sometimes they forget Sometimes they're not able to fulfill the promises that they made. Sometimes they make promises that they never intend to fulfill. But beloved, God is not like that. God knows everything. He never forgets. God is all-powerful. He is perfectly capable of fulfilling his promises. God is not evil. He does not lie. We can trust him to be faithful to his word. When God promises to work in us by his Holy Spirit, then we may be sure that he will do so. The Spirit will bring us to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. He will allow us to taste the goodness of God. Does that mean that all covenant children who are baptized will be saved? No. We know from the Bible 
and also from the experience of life that there are covenant children who reject the Lord. But it's not because the Spirit has not done His work in us. It's because we reject the gospel. We walk our own pathway in life. The point I want to make is that all the promises that God makes to us at baptism are promises that need to be accepted in faith. We need to believe God's promises in order to fully share in them. The Spirit works in the hearts of all God's covenant people, but He does not work in all their hearts in the same manner. The work of the Spirit is wide-ranging. The best way to understand this is to look at an example. Think of King Saul, the first man appointed by God to sit on the throne as king over Israel. When anointed, the Spirit of God came upon Saul. The Spirit came upon Saul as a spirit of prophecy and as a spirit of wisdom for temporal rule, equipping him for his duties as king. But it was not the regenerating spirit who worked in Saul's heart. Saul was never transformed spiritually from death unto life. His heart was not renewed in the sense that he was born again, that he came to love the Lord. While the Bible indicates that God gave Saul another heart, it should not be confused with a new heart. Because of Saul's rejection of the Lord, the Lord rejected him as Israel's king. In the end, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. King Saul is not the only covenant child who rejected the Lord and his promises. Think of Esau, one of the sons born to Isaac and Rebekah. Just like Jacob, Esau was circumcised on the eighth day. Just like Jacob, he was brought up in a home by parents who loved and served God. But Esau didn't care about God's promises. He sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of lentil stew. He didn't care about receiving God's blessing because he really didn't think it mattered. The Bible tells us that he despised his birthright. In the same way, Judas Iscariot was afforded a very privileged position. He was born among the covenant people of God and thus shared in God's gracious promises. He was called by the Lord Jesus to be one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked with Jesus for three years during his public ministry. He heard the authoritative words that Jesus spoke. He saw all the miracles that he performed. But Judas was not willing to walk with Jesus along the pathway of suffering. Judas wanted power. He wanted riches. And thus he rejected Jesus. He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. You can draw some important lessons from this, beloved. The Holy Spirit can work in people without bringing them to salvation. Hebrews 6 verse 4 speaks about those who were once enlightened, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted the goodness of the Word of God, but who later fell away. 2 Peter 2 verse 20 speaks about some who escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who again were overcome by sin. Clearly, the Holy Spirit can allow us to share in some of the benefits of the gospel, 
without causing us to be born again. If we understand this, we also understand the warnings not to grieve, not to quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. As God's children, we're often urged to watch ourselves so that we're not tempted and do not turn away from God. Hebrews 10 speaks of people partaking of the Spirit and then spurning Him. It warns if we go on sinning, sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. So how are we and how are our children to share in the abundant salvation the Lord has promised us? Well, through the preaching of the gospel, God enlightens our darkened minds by his Holy Spirit, so we may rightly understand the things of the Spirit of God. He changes us from the inside out. He makes the will which was dead alive, which was unwilling willing, which was stubborn obedient. By the work of the Spirit, God causes us to be born again. He works faith in us, and thus allows us to share in the blessings of our triune God. We might say, but we have no control over our salvation. Ultimately, it depends on God to cause us to be born again, to work repentance and faith in us. But then, beloved, we forget about the promises God makes to us at our baptism. Those promises are true and certain. God will be our God and Father. Jesus has died to pay for all our sins. The Spirit assures us He will dwell in us and make us share in Christ's blessings. How do we partake in these promises? We need to receive them in faith. We need to take hold of God's promises to make them our own by simply believing them. Beloved, it's important to stress the means God uses to call us to salvation and to keep us living close to Him. The Spirit works through the Word. In Romans 10, 17, Paul says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 that we have been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. He says that that Word was preached to us. God uses his word to bring us to faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit uses the word in our hearts in such a way that it convicts us of our sins and causes us to seek our salvation in Christ alone. What's important in our lives is that we heed the Spirit's call, that we repent of our sins and believe in the gospel. How can I know if I'm a true believer? How can I know if I truly love the Lord? Well, the Lord Jesus made clear in John 14 that those who love him keep his commandments. It's a test that King Saul failed again and again. Those who love the Lord will desire godliness. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
Esau and Judas Iscariot were godless and self-centered men. God's gracious promises are for all those who put off the old self and put on the new self, being renewed in the image of Christ their Savior. They're for those who don't just say that they're sorry for their sins, but who repent, who turn from them to serve the Lord afresh. In our first point, we've dealt with the manner in which the Spirit works in our hearts. In our second point, we'll consider the extent to which the Spirit changes us. When the Spirit comes to work in us, He changes, He works change in our hearts and lives. But our problem is that we still remain sinful people. We don't always see much evidence of change within us. When we fall into temptation and the snare of the devil, we easily begin to doubt our salvation. How can we know if we truly are regenerate children of God? Again, it's helpful to look at an example. Consider the people of Israel in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a day near the end of Christ's public ministry when the people all came together And they cried out against Jesus, saying, Away with this man and crucify him. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a sermon about the risen Lord Jesus to these same people. Acts 2.37 notes their response. They were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter called on them to repent. 3,000 people repented and believed. They studied the scriptures and they broke bread together. They sold their possessions in order to provide for those who were in need. What a change from love of self to self-denial from hardness of heart to repentance and conversion, from murdering the Christ to loving their brothers and sisters. So why this dramatic change? Well, because the Holy Spirit was poured out. Holy God came to make his home in sinful hearts. And that brought about radical change. You see the same change take place in 1 Corinthians 6. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul goes on to say, and such were some of you. Prior to the gospel coming to Corinth, the Corinthians lived in darkness, in slavery to sin and Satan. But something marvelous happened. The gospel was preached. The Spirit worked. Paul explained, saying, But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
The effect of the Spirit making his home in the Corinthians' hearts was profound. They were washed by the blood of Christ. They were made holy by his Spirit. We read this afternoon from Galatians 5. This passage contains two lists. Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The people who live like this simply will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we compare these two lists, we see how radically different they are. The first speaks of sexual immorality, of impurity, and debauchery. Those who live in such sins are focused on themselves, on their sinful lusts. The second list speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, of love and joy and peace in the risen Savior. The first speaks of hatred, discord, jealousy, and fighting. Central is me. The second list speaks of patience, kindness, goodness. The focus is on the other, on our neighbor. Do you see the contrast? That, beloved, is the work of the Spirit of God. Where the Spirit of God comes, there comes a radical change. Those in whom the Spirit lives again begin to reflect, to reflect something of what God is like. More and more, the old nature is put to death, and more and more, the new nature comes to life. We take on the image of Christ our Savior. By the power of the Spirit working in us, we live in obedience to His commandments. We show forth love to God and to our neighbor. Everyone around us can see that we're no longer ruled by the power of Satan, but that instead we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Spirit brings about radical change in the hearts of believers. But we don't always see this change in our own hearts and lives. And it can cause us to wonder... Does the Spirit really live in me? If we see much of the fruit of the old nature and not much of the fruit of the Spirit, we can begin to doubt our salvation. Beloved, if that's the case in your life, I'd urge you to consider carefully the direction of your life. Every believer will face ups and downs in life, also spiritually. What we'll times when we're close to the Lord and times when he seems far away? Yet where are you today in comparison with a year ago or five years ago? Are you growing in the Lord and in his ways? Every believer is faced with temptations and at times we all give in to them. So what do you do then? Do you wallow in your sin? Or do you repent? Repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. It involves a turning away from sin 
and a turning to the Lord. Someone who's truly repentant will not continue to play around with sin. Instead, he'll look to Jesus Christ for deliverance and to the power of the Spirit to help him fight against his sin. The point is not that we can never fall back into sin. It is that we don't continue to live in it. Paul told the Corinthian believers that they were temples of the Holy Spirit. He also called them to live as temples. He makes the same point in Galatians 5.13, saying, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We may be thankful that God in his grace has granted us his spirit. Paul encourages us to live by the spirit, to walk by the spirit. By the powerful working of the spirit in us, we are to live as the holy people of God. Beloved, what a a rich comfort we have that we and also our children may share in the rich promises of our God. At baptism, the Holy Spirit assures us he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ. He promises to cleanse us from our sins to work daily renewal in our lives we may take hold of this gracious promise that the Lord has made to us and which he's making to Lila and Jace and Kaysen this afternoon. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. May we receive them in faith and give the Spirit opportunity to work in us with the gospel then we may be assured of the presence and the work of the Spirit in our hearts and lives. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from hymn 48, stanzas 2, 3, and 4. <laughs> 